Okay, today we continue our journey through First Peter. And we are coming now to the beginning of chapter 4. Um, we finished up chapter 3 last week where we were talking about Christ suffering for us once and how God, even though He seems to be very slow in what He does, He has His own timetable. Um, he was patient with impenitent sinners in the past, but He did deal with them. And these recipients of this letter can be assured that God, in His own timetable, will deal with their adversaries. And the lesson for us is that no matter how bad things get, we know that God is in control and He is going to deal with our adversaries, the enemies of the church. And this was a type of baptism which now saves us, not baptism, not the sacrament. The sacrament doesn't save us. The um, Holy Spirit baptism, when we're converted, that is what saves us. And Christ is now in heaven. Christ is at the right hand of God with all angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Good news. Good news for the Christians that God is on the throne, that God is going to deal with their adversaries, and they just need to remember who they are. They're God's children. They're the elect. They have been foreordained to everlasting life and all these things that are coming upon them are only at the appointment of God. Okay, any questions on anything up until now? Okay. Uh, verses, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Um, we will start over here. Jeffrey, do you have scriptures with you there? Yes, we do. Okay. All right. uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. First Peter. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. <clears throat> for the time that is past suffices for nothing what the Gentiles want, for doing what the Gentiles wants, want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking, parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit. Okay. Alright, here we have a, in this passage another thing that's kind of hard to understand, right? The gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Alright, we got just got through reading about Christ going and preaching to those or making proclamations to the spirits in prison. Those are tough passages. And then when we get over to 2 Peter, chapter 3, we have a couple of passages. Verses 11 through 13. 
since all things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening and the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And then we got finally verse um, 2 Peter 2 verse 18 where Peter says for speaking loud boasts and folly they entice excuse me that's the wrong verse but um, we had verse 20 for if they haven't escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ they are again entangled and we have several places, so therefore, in this, um, that should have been verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact below 3 8 that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. Things of this sort. what I'm pointing to is there's about, about there's four passages in First and Second Peter that are considered four of the hardest to understand in the Bible. Okay? And then Peter states in his second letter that Paul has written some things that are hard to understand. And Verse 16, 2 Peter 3, 16. He does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them which are hard to understand. He's telling us, Val pointed this out to me last week, that Peter, after writing these two letters that have the four hardest passages to interpret in the New Testament, he said, look at Paul. He gives us things that are hard to understand. So I think that God here has a little sense of humor in having Peter to write that down. I thought I'd just point that out to you. It's kind of, kind of funny how he would say that about Paul when he writes these things. All right, now, in your notes, Peter continues the line of thought we read about at the end of the prior chapter. Now, these chapter divisions, Peter didn't write a big four and then start writing the fourth chapter. These chapter divisions are put in here by godly men trying to make it easier for us to read. So, Peter didn't break the chapter here. That's not divinely inspired. We are continuing the thought from the end of chapter 3. Peter is saying that since Christ has suffered in the flesh and been victorious, they are to be armed with the same attitude. They're to be armed with the same attitude. Now, they must arm themselves because they're in a war. We are in a spiritual war and we are to be ready. Now, when soldiers go in to fight a battle, they don't wait till they see their enemy and start trying to find a gun or a sword or whatever. They prepare in advance. When we fought World War II, 
our soldiers were thoroughly equipped in training and in anything they needed before we sent them into battle. That's the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to already be ready when these things come. He is telling them, you arm yourself now, you be ready for these things when they come. You do not wait. Christ remained faithful. He was victorious and he expects the same thing from us. So here again we see the duty of preparing in advance. When we have times of peace, we're supposed to be preparing for these times of war because they're coming. Jesus said, anybody that, if they persecuted me rather, they will persecute you. Okay, so arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. We're supposed to think the Lord stops after him. We are not supposed to let the world shape our thinking. Okay, and then in your notes here, with this attitude, a person has ceased from sin. That is prescriptively, not descriptively. Uh, let's see. Next would be vow. If you look up for First Corinthians six nine through eleven, and then we'll shift back to the back. Laura, First Corinthians ten thirteen. Okay, now I tell you when to read vow. <clears throat> A person has ceased from sin. And we must realize that no matter how bad of a predicament we're in, no matter what kind of situation we're in, no matter what kind, what level the persecution is or the pain that we have, we are expected not to sin. There is no excuse for caving in and sinning. Uh, let's read. Uh, this will shed a little bit of light on this passage. Let's have Romans 6, 11 through 14 read to us. I'm sorry, it's Romans. Romans 6, 11 through 14. I, I'm sorry about that. Corinthians passage was good too. <laughs> yeah. Romans 6, 11 through 14. I've got it right this time. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts and unrighteousness. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be a master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Okay. Now, we are to consider ourselves dead to sin. This is our attitude that we have we, we won't completely die to sin, but we are supposed to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, we have the attitude, we're not allowed to sin. 
We are required to do things God's way and not our way. And there is no excuse. We all tend to make excuses. We say, well, you know, I, I can't do this, God. It's just too tough for me. Problems with you, it's not with me. You've misjudged me. I can't do this. No, that's not the case. Let's have First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 read for us. Have I got... I had 10, 13. That's right, yeah. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself on this. Um, go ahead and read First Corinthians 10, 13. That's fine. Okay. I'm sorry, I, I've gotten one line ahead. Can't seem to get back online. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So, every temptation that comes upon you is common to man. Nothing's unique. You don't ever face a unique situation that's common to man. God knows what you what your limits are. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability. <clears throat> he will provide a way of escape. You don't cut trials short. You can be the kind of people God um, expects you to be. So it appears the specific kind of sin he has in mind here is going back to the old lifestyle. They, they could cut this persecution short by going back and living like the world does, rejecting Christ and living like pagans. We turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm going to read for us verses 9 through 11. And the idea here is that you used to be a certain kind of people. You're not that anymore. And you don't have to go back to doing it because you're not the same. Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral or idolaters, nor adulterous, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. So this congregation that uh, Peter is writing to, they used to have these pagan lifestyles. They're not that anymore. It says, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You are a new creature in Christ. You do not have to go back. You are cured. You are well. And God is not going to bring any trial or temptation on you beyond what you are able to endure. So Peter don't leave him any wiggle room, does he? God expects us to act like Christians. Realize who we are and what is required of us. Anybody have anything to add to that? 
Pretty easy stuff, huh? Peter's tough. It's not easy. Okay. Verses 2 and 3 show us that we have a choice. Or shows them that they have a choice. They can persevere and receive a blessing or they can go back to living the way they were. Cutting the trial short will also cut off the blessings they would have if they endured. As for you to live for the rest of your time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So, a person has a choice. He can live his time to please God or to please the flesh. You can't serve two masters, Jesus tells us. You serve your flesh, your um, wicked desires, or you serve God, one or the other. The choice is yours. If you serve God, you're blessed. If you serve your own sinful lust, you are under a curse. Okay, cutting the trial short cuts off blessings. Verse 3 summarizes the old life. The time past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. That's what they've come out of. That they are no longer that person. They are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Anybody have anything? I feel like I'm just talking. Nobody else wants to talk today. <clears throat> okay. All right, verses 4 through 6 show the result of persevering, which will be a blessing to them. The following will happen. All right, in verse 4, uh, we, <clears throat> we see that with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same blood of, uh, flood of debauchery and they malign you. So um, that will happen. If you've been living like the devil with his children and then all of a sudden you live the way God wants you to do, they're going to wonder what happened to you. They're going to ask you, have you gone insane? He's gone and gotten religion. He's gone crazy. Things like that. They are going to be surprised. It will surprise the unbelievers. It also makes them mad. Their persecution will intensify. They will not be able to stand godly people because they are so ungodly. Anything that's filthy, they'll love. Anything that's holy, they'll hate. So the persecution will intensify. And the third bullet there, their persecutors will ignore the gospel message and warnings. 
No surprise when you don't join them, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They, they think that because God hasn't come in and done anything to them that they're not going to have to ever account. God's goodness is meant to lead them to repentance. But they don't repent. They become even more hardened. So they ignore the gospel message and its warnings. Just because God has been patient in the past, as we've seen before, he will not be patient forever. And then we see that all will be judged. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Okay? The idea is that these people must persevere under this peer pressure. We've all had peer pressure. When we were in school, we had it. In work situations, we're under it. But we must persevere. And we can get encouragement from these verses. Okay? This is why the gospel was preached to even those who are dead. Anybody want to explain that? I'm going to get somebody to talk. <laughs> well, I want to take purgatory, Bill. <laughs> okay. Yeah, All right, that's it for this week. Next week, we'll... what was that? What was that, Mike? Gospel preached to those that are dead in sin. That's and, that's and one. will stay dead. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Yeah. Well, you know that that's true. Um, it's been preached to all all these people. The gospel has been preached. Um, most commentators lean toward that this um, is those who died in Christ, and the reason for that being. It says it's preached even to those who are dead, that's present tense, that those who are dead, because they're the ones who were judged in the flesh the way people are, but now they live in the spirit. They were persecuted on earth. The ungodly judged them as not being worthy. They persecuted them, but look at them now. They're in paradise. They're with God. They live in the Spirit. They have the full blessing of God. So the gospel was preached to the, those brothers who are now dead. While they were on earth, they were judged in the flesh the way people are. But now they're dead, and now they live in the Spirit the way God does. So, it is preached to all, all of those who are dead. If the church is doing their job, it's preached even to those who are dead. But I think Peter has a mind here to help these poor persecuted Christians. He says, look at them. Look how blessed they are. They were persecuted while they were living. You believe the gospel. They didn't. You're blessed, and they're cursed. 
I, I still have trouble understanding this priests of the dead believers. Yeah. That's, that's, that's because a tough passage. if they're dead believers, they already have the blessed hope. So uh, the gospel that's... was preached, past yeah. tense. Yeah, and that's those who been are preached. dead. Present tense. It was preached to those who are dead. Present tense. Preached to them when they were alive. Yeah, it was. Okay. I had to go over this a hundred times. What made sense to me? Well, we were watching a YouTube about uh, somebody who was being interviewed who left the Mormon faith, and he was talking about several of their doctrines. And reading some of these things from Peter, I wonder if that's where they twisted some of the stuff to, because they believe that people have other chances once they pass from this life, they mm -hmm. go to other places, and they have an opportunity to accept Christ again. You know, and I'm wondering if that's some of their text that they. I'm baptized for the dead. <coughs> Living people baptized for the dead. <coughs> so even if you mess up in this life, you still have an opportunity the next time. But there's different grades. Like if you're really, really bad, mm -hmm. yeah. there's one kind of afterlife that you have a chance for. And if you're like only a little bad, then you have a different kind of chance. In that where it says in this also the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. The was preached is what's called the aorist passive tense. It's just something that was done. It's over with. No more comment. It was preached. The result's final. It was preached. It's our regular normal past tense. One time thing. And it's even to those who are now dead. You, that could easily be translated to those who are now dead. Present tense. So what does the word even mean? In that? I mean why is that in there? That's the problem. Because the word's in the Greek. Um, right, so what is well, in some translations you'll see and it is, it's translated as those who are now dead. And even though the word now is not in the Greek, I think it can be implied from the verb to, from the um, from the language that's used there. They substitute now for even? Is that what you're saying? No. The word now is not even in the Greek. No. I think the problem word is even though. I preach even to those who are dead. See, verse 6. Uh, okay. It implies something that I don't know what to make of the implication. <laughs> um. That's probably about the best way to translate that. It's it's um, kind of a weird construction. It's on the one hand, on the other hand type of thing. Um, the you know I have the same problem as you, Jeffrey. What to make of it? The best I can do with that is that P 
Peter is talking to these persecuted Christians who are being judged in the flesh by unbelievers. He's saying that the ones that are dead now were the same way, but now they're blessed. They're with God. That's the application for that. That makes sense to me. That's uh, I think that's the way Jay Adams um, interprets that, applies it, and I believe that's about as good as we're going to do. So that is encouragement for us. We're only going to be judged in the flesh by men for a little while, and then we're going to be blessed. All right, back to your notes. Peter shows the future of the Christians and the non-Christians. Those who died in Christ were ju judged harshly while alive by unbelievers. But now they live in the Spirit. They are blessed and blessed forever. They had a few hard days, but now they are blessed forever. And then, in your notes, those who were persecuted, those who persecuted them on the are on the brink of judgment all the days of their lives. Every day they're on the brink of judgment. And they have no future. Their righteous judgment is coming. They will be eternally condemned. God does make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. The righteous will be blessed and blessed forever. The their persecutors will be eternally condemned. So he's saying it this way in order to let these people know, yes, I know it's hard for you, what you're going through now, but you have a wonderful future. So this would give them, this would arm them to be ready to suffer in the flesh. That's the attitude they have to have. If they can do these things, and they'll be okay. They'll be able to. They may lose their lives, but didn't didn't Jesus say that? Not fear him who can kill the body, but fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. The unbelievers aren't fearing him. <coughs> All right. Anybody have anything to add to that? Yeah. Uh, just thinking again about even. Oftentimes in the scripture, when they say, when it says even, I think it could be, you tell me if I'm wrong, it could be translated especially like Christ humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Especially death on a cross. I don't have even in my translation, it just says also. The word is chi, and the word chi in Greek can mean and, even, furthermore, things of that sort. You, the translator has to kind of interpret a little bit on that. Can't get around it. Okay, anything else? All right, next week, the first phrase of next week's reading, Peter says the end of all things is at hand. 
Guess what your homework is? <laughs> what does Peter mean by all things? So, I don't know who I'm going to call on to, to execute that. Okay. Alright. And the word all things is um, the first word in the Greek on that in that sentence. So it receives emphasis. All things are coming to an end. Okay. <clears throat> we will be starting out there next week. So hopefully your interest is perked and you will return. Charles, will you close us in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you.